What's up, friends? Before we hop into this fired up, fun Friday show, got to tell you guys about Strava Craft Coffee. You know the deal. It is delicious, smooth CBD coffee. Of course, that CBD helps with aches, pains, headaches, migraines, anything that's going on, including the coffee jitters. It can help take off, which is important when you're sipping on a delicious cup of Strava Craft Coffee. And guys, if you've used our one-time DNVR20 magical code to save 20% off, now you can subscribe to Strava Craft Coffee and save 20% off by heading to the website, subscribing, and then you also never have to enter your credit card information again. So if you've never had Strava, use that magical code DNVR20 for 20% off. If you have, subscribe and you can get your coffee sent to you every two, three, four, six, or eight weeks. Ah, now this noon hour, I can grab myself a cup of Strava Craft Coffee and may have to do that at the DNVR bar where Strava Craft Coffee is on tap. So make sure to check out the DNVR bar for Strava Craft Coffee on their website. Use that magical code DNVR20. All right, fellas, let's hop into the show. Broncos country is sitting in the south stands drinking the curds from my life best part of the week. All right, welcome in to the DNVR Broncos podcast presented by MSU Denver. Good to see the boys. MSU Denver bringing you rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. They've got a great thing going down there. We've got DNVR people uh, taking classes down there. Everyone raves about it. So if you need to get any sort of online education, make sure to head over to msudenver.edu slash online to check out all they have to offer. My boys, what's up? Friday edition, day before a day off. Man, it's feeling good. And like a little too much, a little too late again, chimes in, says, amped, jacked, fired up, excited, perked for this show. Let's go, baby. Although I have to say this, Zach, when you are out at Broncos, the Broncos facility, and there are other reporters around, you don't say my boys quite as loudly as you do from home. And for that, my eardrums are thankful. Also, I love our theme song, but I have to ask you guys something. I'm not very good with music lyrics sometimes unless I'm reading them off the liar notes. What are you drinking from Mile High? Drinking the what from Mile High? Because all I hear is curds. Like drinking, <laughs> drinking the Breck Brews from Mile High. There we go. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. What, what's the lyric? Do we know? I I don't know what you. I can't legally say it on this show. It's uh. It's drinking the Avalanche Ale at Mile High. Oh, is it? Oh man, it's a sponsor <laughs> thing, huh? <laughs> oh, guys, man. guys, I've got good news to kick off the show. I heard from uh, from you guys that on Wednesday, Mace won the competition out here. I heard yesterday Ryan won the competition. And now I took it home, guys. I won the jersey competition today. We are three for three. Can't be defeated. 
That should be enough for what, an extra what, what was the uh, dagger there for you? Oh, man. So did you guys have the same thing? You guys didn't tell me the setup, how there's eight names that you have to get? Yep. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That was brutal. Yeah, uh, you, but, like, but like five or six of them are kind of gimmies, though. Oh, there weren't very many gimmies here. Um, the, the toughest one that I had to get was uh, uh, Elijah Holder. Because he changed jerseys. Or... Oh. Right, so. So can you can you guys get that? Is he uh, thirty four? Boom, boom. Yeah. Ryan would have brought it home for us too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had Bobin Meyer on there, Bob and Moyer on there, whatever his name is. I knew his number. Would have gotten no. Would have gotten him. <laughs> long snapper competition. It's popping, man. It's popping. <laughs> yeah, there's no saying uh, screw this on this podcast with that. all right so today zach you had a chance to see the first real heavy contact you you saw the live goal line period at the end of practice so let's just start there what were your observations from that uh, from really the first period that resembles something you're actually going to see in a game ah starting there mace that means we're starting with the good in the offense and it was ball from the two yard line ones going up against the twos on both sides. So you started off with that goal line period with the first team defense going up against the second team offense and the first, just an absolute stuff. This run defense is looking pretty darn solid so far. Mace, uh, there was nowhere for the running back to go next one because there was no room for the running back to go. They did a little play action to Troy Fumagalli, who was open in the back of the end zone. Nice pass from Driscoll there for the touchdown. Um, and uh, and then when it was the first-team offense going up against the second-team defense, no problems scoring for them. And that's why I say we start with the good in the offense. Levante Bellamy had a nice inside run for a touchdown with the first-team offense, might I remind you. Interesting. And then we'll do a little jersey game here. Who's number 39? Jeremy Cox, right? Jeremy mm. Cox with the first team running <laughs> one in against the second team defense from the two yard line. And then you got the, you, you had to let Drew throw one. So you did a play action pass to Jake Butt in the end zone. So, yeah, the goal line period was great to boost the offensive spirit at the end of practice, but that was just like, a tiny little bit of practice, and that, that is one part that I guess the offense won since they had three shots from the two. Sounds like the there's bad news coming for the offense. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much the rest of practice. No, they, they actually had one good move-the-ball drill as well where they moved the ball about 80 yards in two, two minutes and 10 seconds. That was, that was good to see. I'll break that down. But uh, everything else besides that was defense was defense, 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 and the offense did not have Melvin Gordon, but the defense did not have Todd Davis, the guy who calls the plays, and Von Miller, their best player, their highest paid player, and the defense still dominated thanks to one of those backups, Malik Reed. Guys, you could have put an eight on his jersey instead of the nine that he has next to the five. I wouldn't have been able to tell because he looked mm. just as good today and not just getting after the quarterback. The very first play of practice, he stuffed a run and he he stuffed a couple of runs throughout the day. But then he was also back in in uh, in the backfield early and often. Nearly every single uh, series that that the Broncos had, 
he had at least one big play. So very, very impressed with him. And someone else that stuck out, especially in the run defense, I guess, and the pass defense as well, uh, was Jarrell Casey. He really had a day today. That probably helped to open up Malik Reed a little bit too uh, in, in both run and pass game. So those two guys were dominant. Drew Locke, the running game, was able to do nothing until over midway through practice. So <laughs> Mace getting a call there, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's, things are kind of popping right now. Sorry screw that, that, Mace. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> screw this. I want to I bring up Malik Reed because this is – now a few days of good practices that he's strung to, that he's put together he was pretty strong when i was out there on wednesday as well i don't think there's been a day where malik reed hasn't made at least one notable play so far so is it fair to say that he might be if not the most improved player on the team one of the most improved players on the team yeah yeah now he's getting a call this guy's popular uh, oh my gosh uh, <laughs> source is coming in left and right for me so wow uh, <laughs> looking like adam schefter out here gotta be on uh, the phone yeah 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 <laughs> maybe it's malik reed calling him saying hey thanks for uh thanks for the love on the pod i've been uh, talking this guy up for a year and a half now it's actually really cool to see how he's how he's grown and developed because last year remember he started but there were some struggles and we end up seeing more of Jerry Atakshu down the stretch and less of Malik Reed because Reed uh, wasn't quite grasping everything and doing as well as the Broncos needed him to, but he didn't let it clearly. He didn't let it get him down. He's come back with more resolve. He got some uh, nice praise from Vic Fangio after practice today and he's looking good. And I, I think, uh, it's fair to start making the Shaq Barrett comparison. Not saying he's going to be a 19 sack guy at some point, but the Shaq Barrett comparison as far as a guy who can step in rotationally and ensure that there's very little drop-off. Yeah, I think I think he has a bright future if you read the tea leaves. <laughs> oh, you're, uh, you're, you're maliking me crazy with those, Ryan. Oh, God. It doesn't even make sense at <laughs> oh. all. Uh, there's a malik in your logic. <laughs> yeah, I think mine was mine was better than that. <laughs> um, Mace You're killing me! You're artistic. killing me, guys! You're killing me! <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say the exact same thing about Shaq. Is what I've seen this first week of camp is he really could be that Shaq Barrett role. Of course, Shaq Barrett of the Broncos, uh, not not with the Bucks. And so we got Richard Garcia chiming in and saying trade Vaughn for draft capital and no you're not Easy. you're you're not there you're not there uh because you want that Sha Shaq Barrett coming off the bench mm -hmm. yeah I think that you know Malik Reed and Jeremiah Atachu uh when I've been out there have looked like they're having a nice camp uh and Zach it's funny it seems like uh every day you go to camp it's a defense day Every day I go to camp, it's a, an, a more offensive day. And every time Mace goes to camp, it's a no-pads day. <laughs> I'm hoping that changes on Sunday after a rest day. They come, they come out fired up and ready to pop each other a little bit. Well, and Mace, I, I think that's an important place to start with yeah. this practice is you said you, you hope they're coming up fired, coming out fired up. Oh, you could tell it was the last day before an off day, six days of practice in a row because there was no fire in the Broncos offense. Mm. I mean, Philip Lindsay has his fire, but it was not contagious at all to the rest of the offense. Guys, the, the, the very 
first mini series of practice, there, there was absolutely nothing going on. In fact, I kid you not, for over the first half of practice, the play of practice from the offense was a little Texas route from Drew Locke to Royce Freeman. <laughs> that was the play of practice so far. I'm going, holy, what am I going to say for this practice? And uh, the, the offense did step it up. So uh, not necessarily a tale of two halves, but the offense stepped it up uh, near the end of practice before that goal line situation. There was a move the ball uh, where they started on their own 20. And the offense moved the ball very nice. It started and ended. I guess it started with Cortland Sutton. He made many catches. Uh, the first one really got the drive going. And so Drew said, screw this. I'm just going to go back to Cortland Sutton over and over and over again. And so that's what he did to move the ball. And then uh, third and seven from the seven, I believe uh, like 10 seconds left in the game, third and goal from the seven. Drew Locke drops back, throws one into the corner of the end zone for Tim Patrick. Tim catches it. Does he get both feet in? In the review, it looked like he did get both feet in. So that was the play of the day there because it was great footwork by Tim Patrick. A good ball from uh, from Drew Locke. And then they ran it back one more time just in case it wasn't complete. Uh, and with two seconds left from the two on fourth down, uh, Drew Locke overthrew Jerry, or I guess threw the ball out of the end zone. Uh, so we're going to say that it was a score for the Broncos with Tim Patrick. Now, so, you, sorry, you, I, oh, I, was, I wanted to ask, though, because you mentioned Royce Freeman's name. We talked about Malik Reed for Von Miller. How did Royce look today? Royce stepped in and looked like he was wearing jersey number 25 in terms of his Ooh. participation in practice. Mm. He didn't he if he filled in uh, Melvin Gordon's spot seamlessly. I was surprised. I thought with I thought Phil was going to be the bell cow without a doubt, or at least get 70% of the plays, and then you get Royce Freeman, 28% of the plays, and then you get uh, number 39, 2% of the plays maybe. And uh, no, they didn't do that. It was split even 50-50 with Phil and, and Royce. So I was surprised by that. Maybe, you know, uh, the Broncos are saying this is a one, two, three-headed monster out here running back. I was shocked that they didn't give Philip Lindsay more touches. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And I'm, I forgot to mention it yesterday. I was going to say Curtis Modkins listened to the podcast the other day because we said you can't call it a three-headed monster if Royce Freeman gets no first-team carries. Well, even with Melvin out there yesterday, he was getting some first-team touches. So maybe they are. Uh, maybe they're serious about that. Real quick, I have to eat my crow or take my medicine on. Uh, giving credit because you talk about getting your feet in in the back of the end zone. Well, yesterday I mentioned that a referee called it a touchdown. And of course, it later comes out that uh, Brandon McManus was that referee. And so I think I'll go back to trusting my eyes and saying that Albert Okuebunam was not in on the back of the end zone yesterday. <laughs> so you're saying that the, the NFL in its efforts to get some former players to be officials because it's something that they've worked on over the years, and now you do have some ex-players in the officiating ranks. You're saying that Brandon McManus is not going to be the next guy to winning guys like uh, Steve Freeman, for example. No, I don't think so. Although I did agree with the player who in the background said, you look more like a referee than a football player. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Man, uh, that's, that's cold. Ice cold. 
Zach, there's a few questions here that are similar coming in, and, and I want to know the answer to this too. First, it's from one and only O3, who says this sounds like an indictment on Elijah Wilkinson talking about Malik Reed. And then uh, Eduardo Jordan says, do you guys think uh, there's a chance that the OLBs appear to be so good because our OTs are awful? One uh, when, when it's Von Miller going up against him, you can give him the benefit of the doubt, right? Yeah. But when it is when Malik Reed looks like Von Miller out there, it does make you question that. And that was something that I certainly thought about for the second half of practice. And because we've been seeing it day after day after day, no matter who's against him, yeah, I I, I do have to say that that's certainly now a big role uh, in, in this as well. Yeah, that, that is a little, you're totally right. And when you say like, okay, you, you know, if you're getting worked by Bradley Chubb and Von Miller, that's what's supposed to happen. Those guys are being paid to beat you like that. Um, uh, Malik Reed and Jeremiah Atachu are not. No, mm. no, they're, they're absolutely not. Good news is Bulls did play uh, fine uh, on the left side today after having his big press conference yesterday. Um, and Drew, like I said, it was it was Jarrell Casey and uh, and Malik Reed uh, collapsing the pocket a lot of the time today. He also had Draymond Jones in there on a sack as well. But it's not like Drew was constantly under pressure because it was only coming from a few spots on the line. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, all right, let's go through the uh, the uh, requisite questions here. Who uh, who is getting the center reps today? Oh, we had Patrick Morris today. And didn't mention his name yet. That's a good thing. It's a good thing when, when you don't mention the name from a center. He had a solid day. Um, a solid day is what I'll say. I don't, I don't want to go too far out on a limb. Did he get all the reps or was there a, a, a split in, in duties between him and Cushenberry? Nope. It, it was Patrick Morris all day. Cushenberry was uh, exclusively with the twos today. Okay. Interesting. Uh, can we get a Jerry Judy update? Uh, today, who? No. Damn. Yeah, yeah. It's unfortunate. Like, ah, uh, I haven't seen the Jerry Judy. You know, I, I've been, I've, I've seen how good he is in his routes on the side, but I haven't seen him have that breakout day. And like I said, when Drew needed it today, he was going to Cortland Sutton. Mace, just like you said, uh, two days ago, mm-hmm. Judy start or, or Cortland started practice with the drop, and then he bounced back and was very solid so that maybe you just got to throw the ball his way at the start of every game let him get the drop out of the way so then you can go back to him because then he's going to be reliable and catching everything so the first so first and 10 from the 25 yard line to open every game it's going to be a quick out to court when he's going to drop and then he's going to go off after that there you go. <laughs> yep exactly because in that final two minute drill that the broncos did you had uh drew just looking jerry or Cortland sutton's way every single time and yeah, not not an indictment on Jerry Judy. He just he just didn't do anything today. Bummer, bummer. I'm sorry, Zach, that you haven't seen uh, some of the highlights that uh, we've been able to see so far. Um, okay, next thing that I want to know is third corner. Uh, how how are those guys looking out there today? Started off with Isaac or, or with uh, Devonte Bosby. He looked solid all throughout practice, and then you brought in uh, Isaac Yadam, and he got beat. Uh, by Cortland Sutton on the very first throw of that two-minute drill. But again, I would say pretty solid. Today, I'd give the nod definitely to uh, Yadam. Saw Devontae Harris out there a little bit, uh, and Ojemudia, I did not see him out there at all. It really seems like he's taken a, a back seat in this corner corner job, which is three guys right now. Yeah, it kind of seems like, Zach, that this was the uh, 
the like the dawn of the dead like all these guys that have kind of been written off a little bit are having nice days royce freeman had a nice day isaac yadam had a nice day um patrick morris had a nice day all these guys who you you know people including me might have been ready to start counting out uh maybe making a little bit of a push here yeah i mean throw uh throw jarrell casey in there because the tennessee titans uh said he was dead when they traded him to the broncos for that seventh round pick yeah, the only thing that's dead is that general manager. <laughs> hey, you got to come up with the money for Derrick Henry somewhere, but yes. yeah, exa- that's the yeah. problem. <laughs> like- <laughs> uh, and guys, some some good news on the injury front. Good, good news. Wow, Von Miller, Todd Davis, uh, and uh, KJ, and oh, KJ and Melvin Gordon didn't practice today. Good news after practice, we find out that Von Miller and Melvin Gordon are day-to-day with their injuries, not serious injuries at all. And Todd Davis is expected to miss at least one week, which may seem bad on the surface, but there was a a concern that it was going to be potentially months that he was going to miss. So they'll reevaluate after a week. It's the other calf than last year, and it's not as serious as the one last year. So would you like todd davis in there for the second week of camp absolutely you would do you need him in there the second week of camp no because he's one of the most veteran guys on your defense so you don't need him yeah you know what he can do the uh what i want to ask you though zach is josie jewel getting the first team reps today how did he look solid he, he he was solid he did get beat by royce freeman on that texas route but other than that he he was solid he looks like josie jewel you know uh, a guy who's going to be solid in the run game if you're getting beat by Royce Freeman on uh, on Texas routes in the middle of the field, probably not the best at coverage, and that that's what we expect. What was interesting, after practice, Vic Fangio was asked about Alexander Johnson being the one to call the plays in the huddle with Todd Davis out, and Vic, brutally honest, said, no, I'm not 100% comfortable with Alexander Johnson doing that yet. He still needs to uh, to learn and continue to develop, so – that just shows you how important uh, having Todd is there. Yeah, you know, a lot of people are kind of trying to, I don't know, act like losing Todd Davis wouldn't be a big deal for the Broncos because he's become such a scapegoat uh, in so many different areas. And and I just I couldn't disagree more with that. I, I realize he is not a perfect player by any stretch of the mind. But, you know, one of the things that people often forget when players are scapegoats is that these guys are still starters for a reason. You know, it's like Garrett Bowles. Yeah, you hate Garrett Bowles. Just wait until you see the guy that would replace him. You know, like it, it, it gets it only gets worse the further you go down the depth chart. Rarely does it get better. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of Garrett Bowles, uh, on the the right side backup was Calvin Anderson getting the second team reps again. Uh, yeah, can't can't mention his name. <laughs> that was a nice choreographed moment, guys. <laughs> um, and uh, behind him, Demar Dotson still working with the threes. Um, so no change there yet. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll see a little change up after an off day at right tackle. That's when you can see changes like this happen. That's what I'm wondering about, because usually you get to that first break after the practice that leads to an off day that has that goal line period. You get into that first break and usually you see some shuffling of the depth chart and how guys are used coming on the other side of that. So how they align themselves on Sunday, I think is going to tell us a lot about where they see DeMar Dotson and what kind of progress he's made in learning the scheme and getting up to, and getting up to speed in terms of his conditioning. 
Yeah. A couple of questions I have for you guys. One, are you any less confident in DeMar Dotson being the starting right, right tackle uh, week one? Yes, I am less confident. I And actually, I thought it was interesting that the Broncos, for the post-practice press conferences today via Zoom, put Elijah Wilkinson up there. Yeah, mm. yeah, getting some love mm-hmm. uh, out, out to the media. That is surprising. And yeah, Ryan, I think I have to be concerned at least a little bit. I mean, you're telling me he's not even getting a couple reps with the ones, and now you're telling me he's not even getting a couple reps with the twos? Yeah, that is concerning. And it's not like we're in week eight of the season and he's missed half a season, so he needs to get conditioned. Uh, if the Broncos signed him, he probably should have been staying in decent shape, so it shouldn't take this long at least to move him up a little bit. Yeah, I'm with you guys. My my confidence meter was probably at 100 before camp. Uh, <laughs> I've dropped down quite a bit to like 70 probably. Um, and, and I might even be just – there might be some anchor bias that's playing a role there. And man, Elijah had an opportunity, I guess still has an opportunity to lock down that job. He just, he's got to lock down the right side of the line for that to happen. They want him to win this job badly. And he's saying, nah, it's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll let uh, other people try. And the Broncos say, nope, no, we're not. It's you. Yeah. I mean, obviously uh, Elijah works really hard. He, he wants this job. He's trying to do everything he can, but um, I, I, I guess, you know, my confidence is only going to keep dropping until he finally gets in there. You know, the the second that he plays, I'm sure I'll feel a lot better about it, but right now it's only dropping. Okay. Here's my, my, uh, my last question here. If you were the Broncos, John Elway, Vic Fangio, Zach Azani, you know, Pat Shermer, how would you handle the KJ Hamler situation? Um, because I, I'll just give you my take first to see if you guys agree with me. I think that they should be overly, 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 overly cautious with this. Um, I think you're going to have to give up some short-term gains for long-term gains here. Um, the number one way that KJ Hamler ends up being a bust is he never gets his hamstring healthy and never gets to show off that four, three sub four, three speed. Um, that is his weapon. That is why you drafted him. It's his legs. It's all about his legs. And so they say, you know, at least two weeks, I'm sorry. I like, not only would I say longer than that, I'm probably, if I'm in a management position, considering the red shirt year. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm going as far as the reg shirt year, but I, in my mind, I'd be writing off the first month of the regular season. Yeah, and he is not back until not eighty percent, not eighty five percent. He's not back until he's a hundred percent, and this is where all the depth you have in pass catching targets is your best friend because you'd love to have KJ Hamler's speed, but you know what? You can go out there and you can have some two tight end sets that have some electric potential. Like if Jake Butt ends up making the team, you can go Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant, Jake Butt. You can use Tim Patrick. You can use Deshaun Hamilton in the slot who was productive down the stretch last year. You have so many options with the talent that you have that there is no reason in the world to have KJ Hamler back before he is 100%. Put the bubble wrap on him, let him heal, and, do, and just in your in the minds of the Broncos, at least write him off for the first month of the regular season. That's what I would do. 
Well, and the thing is, you weren't counting on him to be a, a huge, huge part of your week one game plan. We kind of saw that the first few days of practice. We knew Judy was going to be that. They started off the first day making him earn it with the twos. And then by the next practice, he was with the ones. So we knew, okay, he, the Broncos aren't messing around with Judy. With KJ, he was getting some time with the ones, but he wasn't like a, a key part in there. They were keeping Tim Patrick in there. And I expect that that's probably how it would have gone as well. And they were comfortable with Tim Patrick being a starter, one of the guys on the field a lot for week one. So why would you rush back this guy who wasn't going to be a massive part, but was going to be a part of your offense? Why would you rush him back uh, when he could just get injured? Ryan, I, I don't think you necessarily go the, the red shirt route right now, but if that's what it comes down to, that's okay with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm not saying you should. I'm not saying you should definitely go the redshirt route, but I'm just keeping it in the back of my head saying, look, we'd rather have a 100% KJ Hamler from now on than, or from next year on than a 80% KJ Hamler, you know, at any point. Um, and, the, and it's just scary. I'm really worried about this because a hamstring isn't like a sprained ankle where you can just wait it out and it eventually goes away and you're back. Hamstrings are just fickle. Um, and it's kind of hard to know when you're a hundred percent and it's kind of hard to know why you pulled it and how to prevent yourself from pulling it in the future. Uh, and there's just, there's a lot of guys who have had this problem haunt them. And I, I'm just really crossing my fingers that KJ Hamler doesn't end up being one of those guys. Yeah. Wouldn't that be such a shame rushing him back and, and, and ruining him for this year or Ryan, like you said, potentially even longer than that, because he is built off his speed. He is built on those hamstrings. And you, you brought that to have that added dimension that no one else on the team has. Yeah. 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 And speaking of which, uh, in terms of the Hamler injury and who it might open the door for, one and only 03, with a question here, says may open the door for good old, good old Kendall Hinton. How's he been looking anyway? Yeah, he, he, he's actually stuck out to me so far throughout camp. Not a huge day today, but a couple of days ago, he was having uh, multiple catches. Yeah. Yeah. He, he looks, you know, every year there's undrafted wide receivers who look like they can play in the NFL. And I think that wide receiver is probably the deepest position in the entire NFL. Uh, and you can tell that when you go and you go out to these camp practices, because even the last guy on the roster, not that he is the last guy on the roster, but like even guys like downtown Fred Brown are out there making plays in practice every single day. Um, so you know, Kendall Hinton feels like that to me. There's, you know, Khalif Raymond before him. You just, you find these guys, you're like, yeah, these guys, these guys would not be a, a massive minus if they go out there on an NFL field. And the thing is, every team has these guys too, yep. which is why I think Kendall Hinton, the path for him this year is going to be passing through waivers and going to the practice squad after the final cutdown. I don't think he sticks. I think I think Tyree Cleveland could snag the spot that would belong to Juwan Winfrey or Fred Brown, but I I think uh, Kendall Hinton's going to be a practice squad guy this year. Well, Zach, yeah, I think uh, so too. I'm going to get your final observations quickly. Just want to remind everyone, go hit us with a subscribe on YouTube uh, if you haven't already, and then hit us with a thumbs up on this video. It really helps us get discovered, helps us expand the DNVR family, which I think everyone is on board with. Uh, of course, uh, you know if you're listening on the podcast form, head over to iTunes or wherever you listen, hit us with a nice review. That means a lot to us as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, definitely subscribe on YouTube for sure. Okay, Zach, we know you're going to go 
uh, write something and get all your observations out for the DNVR.com. But is there anything, anything we didn't touch on yet that we need to hit? Justin Simmons had a pick off Drew Locke. Uh, I guess I should say Drew Locke threw a ball right to Justin Simmons. So he was able to catch it and have an interception. He would have been sacked anyways by Jarrell Casey. Drew Locke lobbed it up. Don't know what he was doing. Maybe the worst decision of training camp that he's had before. Uh, But for that to come seven days in, I'm okay with it. And it was just one bad decision. Really lobbed the ball up, kind of triple coverage. Justin looked around and it hit him in the numbers. So easy pick for him. And uh, guys, we talk about this guy every year, Peyton Manning at practice today. Now he was, he was doing something with Broncos TV, but no matter what it is, he always finds a way to be around the Broncos. That's and he's future and he's, Denver Broncos owner Peyton Manning. To you. He said we when yeah. he referred to the Broncos, the royal we, as it were, perhaps. But he said we. It, maybe he should start practicing the my my Denver Broncos. Mm, I, I, yes. I don't think I don't think he'd go that far just because. You want to incorporate the fans and everybody as a part of it. I think even if Peyton owned the Denver Broncos, he wouldn't say my Broncos. He'd say <laughs> our Broncos. Fair enough. Well, it's a big day for me, guys, because I just got the delivery of a tub of Brandon Spano green chili. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. What look look at this. This thing weighs like five pounds. It'll probably last me at least two days. I, I was going to say, that better be gone by dinner, right? <laughs> Oh, gosh, it's no, so good. What you want to do is, if you go have a breakfast burrito this weekend at the DMVR bar, have some and then put it on top of the burrito. Well, we and we have a great green chili that goes on the on the breakfast burrito here already. Um, I, I always will give the nod to Spano's Homemade, but it's pretty darn good uh, as far as the – I think we have one of the best breakfast burritos I've had in Denver, so – Keep that in mind if you come down to the DNVR bar for brunch this weekend. But like I said, make sure to keep uh, stay tuned to the DNVR.com for Zach's observations, which will come a little bit later. Uh, I'm sure there'll be lots more good little tidbits in there. I always like reading the little other observations section because Zach always has some nice little ones there. Uh, but for now, I think that's going to wrap it up for us on the live portion of this. We'll see you guys on the podcast format. All right, big shout out to everyone who's still riding with us on the podcast format of the show. It's been really fun to do these lives, but we know that the OGs are all here on the podcast feed. Some of you are on both, and that's that's the most valuable thing you do. Tune into the live, then go hit up the podcast feed, get the download in there. You can skip it. Maybe you want to hear it twice, you know, so you really remember what happened at each day of training camp. But anyways, thank you guys for tuning in with us here. And, of course, thank you to Breckenridge Brewery. Damn good beers all day, every day. Uh, and you can get them down here at the DNVR bar. Come get yourself an RK special. Uh, there's some exciting Breckenridge Brewery news coming out uh, probably next week that I encourage you to stay tuned to. Uh, so lots of cool stuff happening around Breckenridge as they move into the fall here and, and kind of release their fall lineup. Uh, but there's always a Breck brew for you, uh, no matter what your favorite type of beer is. We, we pretty much love them all around here. So check out Breckenridge Brewery. And of course, I wish Zach was here for this one. But of course, check out Manscaped. Code is DNVR20. You know the deal. It's the best stuff around. Uh, all of the products there, the just top of the line, top of the line products. I have a whole routine uh, of Manscaped products every every time I get out of the shower. Just, just be honest with you guys there. So there you go. Check out Manscaped. Use that code DNVR20 for 20% off plus free shipping. All right, Mace, let's hop into the comments here. 
Yes, and it's truly a magical code as always, and it's truly magical also to hear from our friend Count Ocula, who says, Bum Talk Friday equals Bum Question Friday. Without naming names, of course, please share with the masses any stories of guys being complete bums in camp over the years. Tell us the tales of the loafers, slobs, hacks, and butchers. What did they do that we didn't see? Don't be afraid to drop some hints. Love the count. All right, Mace. I feel like you probably have a good one for this. Oh, man. Well, without naming names is a problem. Um, <laughs> I mean... Feel free to name names. All right. Well, this isn't a character judgment. This is simply a performance judgment. There was a quarterback at the Colorado School of Mines named Chad Freehoff who <laughs> racked up some big numbers during his time up there in Golden. Broncos signed him as an undrafted rookie. He's clearly on the back end of the depth chart. This is 05. You've got uh, you know, Jake Plummer, uh, Jake Plummer in there leading things off, of course, and. Uh, you know, he gets out there for a team period and goes interception, interception, interception. This poor guy. Oh, no. It, he was overmatched. The only snap he got in a preseason game that year was a kneel down snap. Just to say he got out there for a game. Which, by the way, that same year, that was more than Maurice Claret got. He didn't even get a preseason snap. Wow. Chad Freehoff got one. Uh, Maurice Claret, he's, you know, the stories about him are in legion. Like he, you know, if, a, if I believe it was Frank Schwab report, uh, who was reporting for the Colorado Springs Gazette at the time, approached him outside of the, of the team, uh, uh, what was at the time uh, the team kind of meal area. It wasn't a cafeteria like it is now. And he dropped the comment about saying, no, this is my personal space. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh geez. Yeah. Um, well, what else? Who who else jumps to mind? I mean, I haven't really had a lot of bad experiences with guys. I mean, I remember, I remember it was I was trying to get Brian Greasy for a game program feature in '02, right after I first joined the Broncos, and it was like pulling teeth to get the interview. But eventually, I managed to talk to him for a few minutes, walking from one building to the other at training camp back in Greeley. And that was another thing back. I had one year. I got to see Greeley and UNC camp up there for one year. And I wish camp was still up there, even though it obviously couldn't be this year because of the pandemic. The ability to get guys kind of as they're going from the cafeteria to somewhere else, if you were smart, you just kind of hang around and wait for players to come by. You get a few minutes for them. It was a little more casual, less regimented in terms of how you could access players. So that's something that I think is is missed. I got a, I got a chance to experience that one more time when I went to the Panthers and covered them for a couple of years down at Watford College in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and had that same kind of access, just being able to kind of grab guys whenever and when they're on the way to Chow Hall and that sort of thing. So, you know, but I haven't really had a lot of, uh, of like bad experiences with guys over yeah, the years. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, you know, someone who was just terrible in camp and it didn't seem like they cared. No one really comes to my mind off the top. I mean, the the story that came to my mind right away was the Paxton patch. Mm. Of course, it, four – Fourth down, we're in we're in the uh, the Pat Bowen Field House. It's fourth down. They're on the probably like the five yard line. Uh, they're losing, so they have to take a shot at the end zone here. Paxton Lynch 
uh, rolls out of the pocket, looks or looks left, looks right. There's no one there. He doesn't know what to do. So what does he do? And he throws the ball away on fourth down with the game on the line, throws it right into the wall and leaves a big old patch of a football <laughs> skidding across the wall. I think there should be a little plaque next to it. I do too. Yeah, do something too. to commemorate that day because between – throwing it out of bounds and into the wall on fourth down in that period and his penchant for not throwing in seven on seven reps, having the whistle blow on him. Yeah. He, all the signs were there. It's part of why I'm so concerned that I, when I saw Jeff Driscoll in a seven on seven period on Wednesday and he had two times where he didn't get the ball off uh, because the whistle blew, they were in the, in the red zone period. I'm like, Oh man, I had a bad Paxton flashback right there. Yeah, yeah. It was rough out there for Paxton. Oh. He probably had like, I don't know, 10 good practices in his whole career. Yeah, and let me give you a Paxton story because actually this is one that just popped in my mind as we're talking about him. A couple of years ago, he, of course, was demoted to the third team during training camp behind Case Keenum and swag himself, Chad Kelly. Yes. Well, after one of those practices following – the demotion he felt like he had a good day and you know what Paxton Lynch did fine against third teamers that wasn't his problem and he he made a decent acquittal himself against the third team and he went over to the friends and family tent where I get he had some people and he said hey they can't cut me now (laughs) (laughs) the lack of self-awareness of Paxton Lynch is a significant sign as for what was his downfall. Uh, well, I mean, the fact that he even knew that there was a chance he was going to get cut is actually kind of impressive to me. <laughs> but, hey, yeah, he, he assumed they were going to keep three, three quarterbacks. And you know what? They did for a day. Oh, right. I, I forgot about that. I still remember being out at the South Gaylord – or the um, – not, not South Gaylord, uh, the South Pearl Farmer's Market – in Denver and getting and getting the text and then hopping I I, I hopped on a, a podcast uh, just to to get to register my thoughts on it but uh when it when I got that text I'm like uh oh, the our nightmare has come to an end Paxton Lynch no longer a Bronco our long national nightmare is over <laughs> and that and you know what that's another reason why we'll remember Kevin Hogan because Kevin Hogan was the guy they brought in They'd rather have Kevin Hogan than Paxton Lynch. And for a brief time, they would rather have Kevin Hogan take practice snaps than Drew Locke. Or uh, should I, that changed? Somehow I think they were actually wrong about all, all sides of this. <laughs> uh, next one's from Low Country Bronco. He says, hey, boys, the Bulls interview today, for lack of a better term, was pitiful. TBH, I feel really bad for the guy. He clearly wants to be there, but is just not on the same page with the organization. Is it realistic to think Munch has found some untapped potential at left tackle? Hats off to Garrett for taking criticism well, at least. Low Country Bronco. Yeah, I, for some reason, I didn't read it uh, in the same way that Low Country Bronco did at all. I think Garrett sounded like a guy who, um, you know, we just talked about self-awareness, who has improved in the self-awareness category, who understands what's at stake for him this year, who really is working hard. And, and I, I do feel compelled to mention that, you know, uh, I talked to multiple coaches who were on the offensive staff with Garrett Bowles at one point or another, and they made it very clear to me. Effort 
and want to is not the issue with Bowles. It's just been understanding that's been the issue for him. Uh, and, and you just – you hope – that maybe for the first time in his career when he has in the same offensive line coach for two years in a row that, you know, it helps him break through and really understand what his responsibilities are on our play in play out. I, I would agree. And it's funny that low country Bronco heard it that way. And then when I was talking with Eric Goodman on the radio about it yesterday, he kind of heard it the same way. And so we kind of had the same uh, back and forth about it. And, he, the point that he made said, look, I've been interviewing Bowles, you know, in the locker room for the last few years. And he said, the problem is a lot of the stuff about I'm going to get better. I've got to do this. He's like, I've heard it before. So that's true. There's something to that point. And I think that's a good point. That said, when you go from hearing Garrett Bowles talk about how he doesn't deserve the reputation for holding and blaming the reps like he did after week two, and then hear him yesterday, there is some growth there. But one more thing, you talked about Munchak and being around him for a second year, and you also addressed the fact that uh, you know sometimes it just takes him a while to kind of grasp things and understand things. Well, I asked Elijah Wilkinson at the, the Zoom press conference today about what he learned from Munchak, and I, I wanted, you know, I asked about technique and stuff, and uh, he didn't get in. I, Elijah said, you know, I'd have to show you the film to get in the technique, but he also mentioned a lot of concepts as far as being able to diagnose stunts and looks from the front seven that Mike Munchak has helped them with. And that's where you say, okay, is Garrett Bowles capable of grasping all that? And maybe this is part of why the initial plan was a competition at left tackle because Elijah seems to grasp that. I mean, his struggles aren't because he doesn't understand and grasp, grasp things. And in, in this case right now, he's coming off of, you know, surgery in, in May, he's still working his way back, and now he has a, a slight ankle tweak. He says he's fine, but that's you wonder if everything that Mike Munchak is throwing at Garrett Bowles, you wonder if Bowles is able to grasp, grasp all of it. Definitely, definitely, and it's up to Mike Munchak to teach it to him in a way that he can. Yeah, that's uh, true. From Illinois Bronco, what up, fellas? Was it mentioned on the pod that BMAC was a ref during practice yesterday? I saw he was the one calling Albert O catch the TD. If it was mentioned, I missed it. Also, which linebacker – okay, first of all, yeah, I – I still can't believe I fell for that, but I will defend myself in saying that we are a good, what, 80 yards away from, from the closest part of the field? Yeah, maybe not that far, but we're not close. I mean, I'd say where we are sitting is probably the equivalent of being back at the, at the, back, at, at the top of the first level at the stadium okay. yeah, I in think terms that's of distance. Fair. Yeah. So that's how far back we are. It's hard to identify facial, facial features from that far away. Uh, that's true. He goes on and says, also, which linebacker has the best chance to push for a starting job if Todd, uh, Todd Davis is sidelined for a couple of weeks? Keep up the great coverage guy. Obviously, it's going to start with Josie Jewell. Yeah, and the fact that Vic Fangio pointed out that Alexander Johnson isn't in a position to be able to make the defensive calls, that plays into Josie Jewell getting the look because he does know the calls and everything. Now, that being said, you also wonder if you can get Justin Stranod up to speed because the issue for Josie Jewell is coverage. And can you reach a point if Todd Davis does miss some substantial time, if you reach a point where you have to say, okay, Josie's going to be the base package guy 
and Stranod's going to have to be the sub package guy because he's just superior in coverage. And you can already see that watching the two of them in coverage, the practices that I've been at, that Stranod is holding his own in coverage. What he showed at Wake Forest is translating. The one thing I'll say here, Mace, is there's probably people at home right now saying, but they just said Todd Davis is fine. Why are we even having this conversation? I've been fooled too many times. Uh, yep. by this guy's fine when he's not. I mean, perfect example. Drew Locke was fine uh, until he missed, uh, what, the first 10 weeks of practice last year? Yeah, exactly. It, 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 they kept adding and adding to it. And uh, that's why I'm going to play wait and see. That being said, the fact that it's not the same calf muscle is a good sign. And that it's not a tear. Yeah. All right, I'll let you read the next one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do I have to say it the way I did earlier, or can I say it just any way I want? You could say it any way you want. Screw this. I would have felt better if it come out like that. Instead, it's just like, screw this. It was so dismissive. Yeah, it was like uh, it was like when Jerry Burns, the former Viking head coach, if you look, look for Jerry Burns' rant on YouTube, and you find him just going off at a press conference, and then under his breath at the end, after all the questions – he refers to the reporters as a pejorative that begins with the F-bomb and ends with ERS, but he kind of says it under his breath the way it's like, screw this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. How has Bowles looked throughout camp? Last year, the surprise cut was Sua Cravens. Do you think there will be any this year? And if so, who? Bowles is, has looked fine, uh, and I think that's a, a compliment. He's looked league average. Yep. And – League average is going to get him paid by somebody. I hope it's not the Broncos because league average is $15 million a year for a second contract guy, as we saw for Deion Dawkins getting that big contract, $60 million over four years, 34 guaranteed from the Buffalo Bills. I don't want to pay Garrett Bowles that, not with the caliber of tackles coming out next year. Fair enough. Uh, surprise cut. You know what? I, I thought my candidate going into camp was Royce Freeman, and I'd I don't know if that's going to happen. So I don't, I don't really have a surprise cut in the bag right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, cause if Jake Rogers gets cut, that's not a surprise. I no, mean, I think no. it's like him and Calvin Anderson that are battling for a tackle spot. Mm, man. That's t- that DeMarcus Walker. Is he a surprise if he gets cut? Uh, a little bit, you know, there's a chance that he's the most surprising cut. Mm-hmm. I would say so yeah I think it's a there's just this this roster at least right now and, and this seems like famous last words but like feels pretty self-explanatory what it's going to look like yeah I think one thing to watch is how many cornerbacks they end up keeping because we're focused on the competition between Devontae Bosby Isaac Yadam and Devontae Harris of course but I Michael Ojemudi is making this team and Isang Bassi, the undrafted rookie out of Wake Forest, has had some flashes so far. So is it and, – and, of course, you have Duke Dawson in the mix as well. So let's just take those guys who are coming back, Bosby, Yadam, Dawson, and Devontae Harris. Somebody's not making the team. Maybe even if, if Bassey flashes, maybe it's two somebodies of that group not making the team. Yeah, for sure. Okay, next one from uh, Tommy Bronco. Hey guys, I heard a way too. Uh, I heard a brief. I heard a brief way too early prediction during the pod once, but with a week of training camp in the books, give me your way too early predictions for the following players or position groups. We start 
with Drew Locke. Mace, what's your way too early prediction for Drew Locke? And I guess it could be anything. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be a stat line or anything like that. It's a solid season. He finishes somewhere between 13th and 18th in passer rating. Goes just north of 20 touchdown passes. It's enough to, it's enough to bring you back. It's enough to, t- to whet your appetite for what's to come. All right. I'll say that um, you guys already know how I feel about Drew Locke, how bullish I am on him. So I'll change mine up a little bit. My prediction is that he, get, he garners national attention and, and hype with big highlight plays. Uh, you know, in, in the sense that he makes some, some eye-popping throws that have everyone drooling. I mean, that, he didn't get enough credit for that throw to Tim Patrick in that Texans game last year which is just about as close to a perfect throw as you can ever have. Um, you remember the one that he threw in the, in the uh, preseason game that hit, was it Fumagalli in the hands yeah. before he even got his head around? Yeah, yeah, Troy just put his hands out. Like he, just, he, he just put his hands, didn't see the ball, and it was right there. It was perfect placement, perfect timing. I think he, he'll be you know, kind of going viral on, on, in different areas for making some eye-popping throws. Yeah. Okay, next Jerry, one's Jerry Judy. You start. Uh, my prediction for Jerry Judy is that he is quickly and easily deemed the best uh, player, the best wide receiver in this rookie class. Um, I think he outperforms Ruggs and Lamb um, handily early on, especially, and gets everyone just talking about him quickly. Yeah, I, I agree. He'll be the best rookie receiver in this class. I don't think that's going to mean a thousand yard season for him but I think he'll be the most productive rookie. He's the, he's the one where you're going to be looking at and saying, all right, is he going to be the wide receiver one? Is he going to push Cortland Sutton for that role in year two? The tight ends, Mace. Ooh. All right. Uh, at least one tight end is going to have six touchdown catches, likely Noah Fant. Um, I will also say this. Um, I think we will see – more 2.2 tight end packages from this team than all but five teams around the league. Which is crazy because we know that Pat Shermer's in love with three wide receiver sets, so he's going to have to be unstubborn about this. He will, but he also has tight ends who can function like wide receivers as Evan Engram did with the Giants. He's, he's got Fant. If Jake Butt makes the team, I feel like they're going to find some snaps for him. Yeah, yeah. And, and Alberto, I mean, he's doing some good things. I just – if Jake Butt makes the team, I just don't see where – how Alberto gets a jersey. I feel like he's going to be a scratch pretty often, unfortunately, just because you've got Fant, you've got Vanette, you could have Jake Butt, and Troy Fumagalli's flashing right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, my prediction for these tight ends is that they are quietly productive game in and game out. Meaning, you might have some big games here and there for Noah Fant, but I think it's more often going to be like five catches for 60 yards uh, or four catches for 51 yards, that sort of stuff. Let me give you a prediction. Do the tight ends combine for 1,000 yards? Oh. Uh, Three of them probably game in, game out. It'll be real close. It's, It'll be real close. It's going to be right there. But if they're right there, I don't know if they get there, but if they're right in that conversation, that will make that group one of the 
probably one of the top 10, top 12 productive tight end groups in the league, which is pretty good considering what we've been used to the last few years. I can never get it out of my head that they had that one year where they didn't even have a third receiver go over 300 yards. <laughs> like every time I talk about yards, I'm like, but there was that one time where Demarius and Emmanuel both had a thousand yards and no one else had 300. Yeah. I realized that's not, this, ha- this not happening this year. <laughs> it's a different group, but it's just like, man, there's, there's how many yards are there to go around? Because I, I think Sutton's, going to go over a thousand i think judy's going to flirt with a thousand uh and then it's like how much is left is there a thousand more yards left for tight ends after that and then you got to add in running back you know you, you start working yourself towards four thousand yards pretty quick yeah i keep kind of settling on about 750 for jerry judy and uh 1100 for Cortland sutton so that's 1850 and if you can get drew lock to 3600 that's 1750 for the rest of the group but you figure Okay, like you see, you mentioned the running backs. You figure they're going to combine for 600 yards or so. And uh, I do think that one consequence of KJ Hamler, as we alluded to earlier in this podcast, is that you're going to see probably a little more to the tight ends. If KJ Hamler is slowly brought back, that's simply going to be more two tight end sets and more opportunities for Fant and uh, and Vinette. And I mean, Vinette, he's he's a he's a better blocker than a pass catcher, but he's a fine pass catcher he'll he'll make some plays he's capable yeah and it's worth mentioning that Deshaun Hamilton has been making some plays out there yes um the hard thing and and I saw someone uh tweeting about this like how come no one ever talks about these Deshaun Hamilton plays he always has made plays in training camp and and looked nice in training camp and then not really had it translate to the field Uh, one thing I think I did think did change though is um I know that maybe Deshaun Hamilton could have been considered on the bubble, but with KJ Hamler battling this hamstring injury, I think you can put Deshaun in Sharpie now. He's on this team. Yeah, I agree. He finishes by saying, PSRK, I don't blame you for thinking BMAC was actually a ref. He looks uh, more like a ref than an NFL kicker. Cheers, Tommy Bronco. Oh, dear. Uh, Tommy Bronco also said defense. So my quick prediction, top five in total defense. Oh, yeah. I'm with you. I'm, I like I like what they're cooking right now. Yeah, me too. Yep. Dan Burke, hey, guys, just wanted to comment on something I saw yesterday. RK tweet about Todd's injury, and someone underneath said something to the effect of, quote, at least the defense is going to get better now, unquote. I feel like some fans are severely misinformed when it comes to Todd. I know he has his athletic limitations, but he's been put into challenging situations as far as coverage goes because the Broncos staff trusts him more than anyone else to be out there. They also trust him to bark out the play calls and get the rest of the defense lined up. If he's forced to miss an extended period of time in the regular season, I can almost guarantee that the Broncos will feel his absence a negative way. With that in mind, I know Vic has commented publicly on Stranod, and he's been penciled in as a next man up, but I feel like people might be sleeping on Josh Watson. He had a good camp last year and a really good set of preseason games too. I haven't heard as much about him this year besides that pick he had a little while back. How has he looked to y'all? Didn't stand out to me nearly as much as he was uh, in practices last year, but uh, you know, I, I still contend that they should have played him in week one last year over Corey Nelson. Yeah. Sometimes you you go with that veteran security blanket just because you're fearful of what might be lurking, but the veteran security blanket sometimes is old and ragged and has a lot of holes and isn't going to keep you well covered up at night, and that was Corey Nelson. So really, I mean, I think even Alexander Johnson should have gone out there week one. 
but oh Josh Watson would have been fine. I think a lot of other guys would have would have done just fine. I'd say Josh Watson. You got that competition going on there, probably for the fifth linebacker spot because fifth inside backer spot because Justin Hollins is working pretty exclusively on the edge. It's uh, you got. Joe Jones and Josh Watson kind of leading the way. And uh, Jones has been a good special teamer, but I think Watson's a little more complete. This, uh, I don't know if there's room for both of them on the roster. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It's, it's important to mention when this was a big conversation between the media yesterday's practice, the practice squad has been expanded to 16. 16, and you also have four players every week that you can protect from being stolen and, you, and, and I believe, Mace, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you don't have to clear waivers to get to the practice squad for those guys. Correct. Effectively, there are going to be four spots that function as almost a kind of reserve roster that you can, where you can call guys up and bring them down as though it's baseball and you've got options on them. So there's that in play. Another thing is that you're allowed to have for this year – four veterans of any level of experience on the practice squad. Now yep. uh, that I believe will go back down to two in future years. Once we get past this and things get a little bit settled, cross your fingers and all that. But that in and of itself is going to be interesting because you may see a handful of experienced guys and names that you know, that pop up on practice squads this year. Yeah. You know, an example would be if the Broncos don't want to put KJ Hamler on IR, they could put him on that squad uh, and just have him kind of inactive. But I believe you have to expose them at the cut down. I don't – maybe, maybe. I don't think I th- you have to, though. But. I, th- I thought you did. I thought it was once you, you have that 24-hour period where everyone can be claimed after you cut to 53. I could be wrong. But I thought this is just kind of how I interpreted what I read. But what that, about like in week two? Well, well once you get past – once, once you set the practice squad, then the day, like 24 hours after the cuts and you've had the transaction wire come through and all the waiver claims come through, once you set the practice squad, then you can – Yes, okay, that's what I mean. Forth. Right, but you still have to expose him to waivers for 24 hours. Yeah, you just put him, on the, that. You put him on the initial 53. Yes. Then you'd move him to that free practice squad and keep him there presumably or do you still if if they start on the 50 is it a case where those practice squad guys can i thought it was you put them on the practice squad and you denoted four guys and you could move them up if the need arose and then if you if you had to put somebody on the covid reserve list and then send them back down so i don't think that's going to apply for kj hamler unfortunately okay all right well and, unless you expose them to waivers but if you do that no, then you're not doing that yeah he's going to be a, he, he's going to be a cincinnati Bengal if that happens yeah exactly from the von stars i completely forgot about sam martin until rk mentioned him on the pod i'm so excited that wad mania is a thing of the past i'm guessing he's looked as advertised during camp thanks for the coverage you guys have been giving us yeah i you know what they haven't worked on punning on the days i've been out there but you saw sam martin at work so share your thoughts the term I would use is he's got a heavy leg. And for any other position, you would not want anyone to say you have heavy legs. But for punter, I think it's a good thing. It, when he hits the ball, it makes a sound like it got hit with like a sledgehammer or something. Uh, he's got a, and it, and it just, it doesn't look like he's putting that much effort into it, but it really flies 
uh, off his foot. So I've been, you know, I, I watch a few punts here and there. I can't say I'm a punt expert, although I did once live with a punter. Um, I, I thought it looked, he looked good in the few punts that I watched. Yeah, uh, that's good to see. And I'm not surprised there. You know, Colby Wadman still hasn't been signed by anybody. Uh, yeah, no shocker there, Mace. Yeah, I think that kind of says it all, unfortunately, about where he stands in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, we always said, have someone who believes in you the way that Tom McMahon believed in Colby Wadman. Now what do we say? Well, Tom McMahon still believes in Colby Wadman. I can guarantee you that. It's just that uh, John Elway doesn't. Oh, good point. And- Race City Bronco. Hey, guys. I was just heading out to my local BBQ joint for some smoked ribs and had to drop a question before I go. Tough news about KJ Hamler tweaking his hamstring and hopefully he recovers quickly. I recently saw a profile video of the Speedster where a draft guru mentioned how much he liked Hamler's deep ball tracking ability. He described it as if KJ were doing trigonometry in his head to judge where the ball was going and he was elite at adjusting his speed to run underneath. I've heard teammates compliment his route running ability so far in camp, but have you seen anything to indicate he has some elite skills when it comes to the deep ball? I recently saw a video of Henry Ruggs getting blanketed by Damon Arnett at the Raiders camp and came away unimpressed. <laughs> uh, we, we saw one highlight from day one, Mace, where uh, K.J. Hamler made a diving catch on a deep ball. That's about the only thing I've seen. When I'm out yeah. there, I haven't seen him get a deep ball yet. Yeah, and I think a, a big thing on that was, I mean, you had you had step for step, you had uh, Duke Dawson in coverage, and he it was a well, it was a, to Jeff Driscoll's credit, it was a well placed ball, and KJ Hamler was able to get under it. But the flashes have been kind of few and far between for KJ Hamler even before he got hurt. Before we move on, a shout out to WGT, the greatest golf game in the world. And you can download the WGT app. If you go to dnvrgolf.com, that'll let them know that you're part of the DNVR family. And then when you get in there, go into clubhouses and type in DNVR3. That's DNVR number three, no space. Uh, and join the DNVR Country Club. You can play in our weekly tournaments. This weekend, we've got the asterisk open. The asterisk open. And it'll be fun to compete in that. So make sure you head over to dnvrgolf.com and download the app from there and if you need any dental work done head over to green mountain dental group they're the best damn family-owned dentist group in the metro area they're big colorado sports fans uh and if you schedule a cleaning x-ray or exam right now they'll hook you up with a free sonicare toothbrush which is a great thing to have you just let the brush do all the work so check out green mountain dental group whenever you need anything done in the denver metro area Pig Tosser 66, haven't commented much lately, mostly because you guys have been covering everything we need. So I've just been kicking back and enjoying the show. I wanted to say that how you guys are attacking the challenges of covering this camp has been perfect, well done. This is why there is DNVR and then everyone else. Well, appreciate the kind words there, Pig Tosser. Thank Thanks, you very man. much. I do have a couple of thoughts slash questions today. Number one, now that we are a weekend, what have you guys noticed as far as how Vic has learned and adjusted from his first camp last year? I know there are obvious differences between the two camps, but I can imagine he has made some changes now that he has some experience. Also, this defense in year two with him is going to be awesome to watch. Shorter practices, right? Shorter. Now, some of that is mandated by how they're ramping these guys up after 
missing the off season of in-person work. So you know, we're just now going to be starting to approach the practices that can push to uh, 1130, 1145 in the morning after starting at 915. Uh, one thing that I wish he had changed, but he chose not to, I wish he'd had some music out there. I could go both ways on this. I'll just say the the closest evidence I have of this is the Broncos 49ers joint practices last year yeah. in which the 49ers brought the boom. Uh, they And they just seemed so much more amped up about everything that was going on. But I also understand Vic Fangio's point on this. You know, we, we debated this till the cows come home last year. But uh, I think – I don't know. I think I understand what he's saying. Like we're out there to coach, not to, you know, party. Yeah. But I think the other thing is though, you're without the ability of even the fans to create a buzz, it just sometimes feels a little too placid. That's out there. And uh, that's why I think just not saying have it all the time, but just every now and again, have, you know, liven it up a little bit number two i know that we have questions and concerns at our tackle spots you guys have talked about our interior o-line being the strength but it would be better if our tackles were i might disagree on that it seems like the majority of the times teams are able to rattle a great qb it comes from d-line pressure right in his face obviously i wish our tackles were better but if drew has that interior wall set then i trust him to be able to step up in the pocket and roll it up he has to i like that he should have a nice pocket most of the time to work from because of our stout interior just my thought as always, you guys are killing it. Well, let me ask you this. Would you rather have three all pros on the interior and two scrubs at tackle or two all pros at tackle and three scrubs on the interior? I'd rather have the latter. Really? Okay. It's, I'd rather have the tackles. And no offense to the, to the interior guys, but part of it is that it's harder to find those players who can who, – can play tackle at a functional level. You can generally find an interior trio that can be functional, even if they're not all pros. It's easier to find those guys. The tackles, part of it is the tackles, they're functioning one-on-one unless they're chipped. And you can't chip for both tackles on every play unless you, you literally only want to have three guys running routes. You, that's just not something that is feasible to have – chips on both sides so those tackles each of them is going to have to operate one-on-one you have more tandem work going on especially in pass pro with the interior alignment than you do with the offensive tack the offensive tackles and so because those tackles are on island i'd rather have those guys be the all pros and again and even though you do have to worry about the interior rush as well look at the edge rushers you're facing in the afc west for example yeah, for me, I would go with the interior guys, I think, just because of, it, of running the ball. You know, if you can run the ball, you should be able to run the ball well uh, with it, with a really good interior offensive line. And if you can do that, it'll make everyone's life a lot easier. Obviously, if you could spread out the attributes from – and I guess here's the third one, Mace. Would you rather then have just five average players across the line than any of that? Mm, yeah, I mean, we're talking with those interior guys, you're talking about replacement level, right? Yeah. Elijah yeah, re- Wilkinson's. Ooh, I, I, maybe even worse than that. I, I would say, I, I mean, I think Wilkinson is a little bit above replacement level. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd rather have the five average guys because yeah. that gives me an average offensive line, which, oh, by the way, is better than what the Broncos have had the last few years. 
Yeah, and in the end, like, it might not always be true, but in this case, I do believe you're only as strong as your weakest link. Yep, exactly. LDJ, hey, guys, loving the coverage, and I have some questions, a couple. I hope it's not too much. Number one, why do I keep hearing more and seeing more plays, especially in the red zone, from Albert O than Noah Fant? Why hasn't Noah flashed yet? Number two, is Royce going to make this Well, let's team? answer that one. Okay, go ahead. I, I mean, first of all, Albert O is playing with easier competition. Uh, he's going up against the twos. And second of all, I don't know. There's so many options out there that I think this is a good thing. Uh, you know, you've been seeing a lot more, at least for me, I've been seeing a lot more Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton in my plays out there than I have seen uh, Noah Fant. But I think I, Noah Fant hasn't done anything bad. Noah Fant looked like he was on the same page to, with Drew Locke when I saw them both out there last Friday. It's good to hear. And, and Drew was leaning on Noah, not quite as much as, as he's leaning on Cortland, but – He's relying on him. So I think uh, just, bec- just because it hasn't happened in terms of touchdowns in the red zone periods for Noah Fan doesn't mean it's not going to be there. Number two, is Royce going to make this team? She, she's been silent, non-existent. Well, obviously we that changed today. That, yeah. yeah, so he'll make the team. Three, I heard reports that the O-line is the biggest issue. The corner's the next issue. That Boye gets beat a lot and Callahan is good. But how long can you depend on him? Is that real or is that pessimistic fan slash broadcaster? Or fan in quotes. Look, I don't know what people want out here. Do you want <laughs> you want dominant receivers, or like you know what I mean? You have a do, you have dominant receivers out there. Corton Sutton is a dominant receiver, and Jerry Judy, I believe, is already a dominant receiver or getting damn close to it. So your corners are going to get beat all all the time, like every day, multiple times. But you know, there's always going to be someone who's going to complain about the other side of this. And say, oh, you know, I had someone say, oh, Bryce Callahan gets cooked every day. It's like, yeah, put pretty much anyone out here, and they're going to get cooked at least once a day. Yeah, and frankly, I don't think Boye is getting beat a lot. No. He's playing well. Yeah, I mean, look, the truth is, yes, you need Boye to step up and you need Bryce Callahan to be healthy, and if those two things don't happen, then then corners are an issue. But thus far, I just think people, you know – it's a glass half full glass half empty type of thing if you want the glass half full you've got dominant receivers you want the glass half empty you've got you know a cornerback problem I tend to believe that it's the receivers being pretty damn awesome yep and number four is McTelvin Eugene looking better than Draymond I love Draymond but if I keep hearing more about Eugene possibly starting over him than Draymond's name I don't know where Uh, you're hearing this from LDJ I I think Draymond's had a really good camp Draymond's looked good, but Ajim is a man. Like, yeah. you look out there, and I'm just like, that is a man right there. Yeah. It just – the thing with Ajim is it comes in spurts, mm-hmm. whereas for Draymond, it's more consistent. That said, I do think you are seeing the future of the defensive end position coming together with Draymond and McTelvin Ajim because, I mean, we, hey, we all love Shelby. He's a good dude. If Probably Draymond and Ajim continue developing, I don't th- developing. I don't think Shelby's back next year. Yeah, it's hard to imagine for sure. Yeah, it's just a numbers game. And finally, from LDJ, if KJ gets back soon enough and Tyree Cleveland is too good to ignore, does that mean bye bye Deontay Spencer? Appreciate the feedback. Get healthy, KJ. Deontay Spencer, I'm putting a sharpie. He's on this team. Tom McMahon wants his returner. He'll be on the 53. It's weird to me that they're messing around with punt returner so much. It's like you had a guy who was really good last year. Just stick with him. Yeah. 
And that's where I think McMahon's going to get on the table. And he was good, and he got better as the season went on. That's the thing. The mistakes he made earlier, largely a result of adjusting to the smaller field of the NFL compared to the CFL, he didn't make those mistakes down the line. Yep. So that sort of progress, the electric speed that he brings, the vision that he has, yeah, Deontay can play in this league. Deontay had better be on the 53. Yeah. From the Danimal, good morning, everyone. Trivia time, and I have a camp question. Our Broncos are the only NFL team with a winning record against Brady, but who has the second best record against him? I think it's Carolina. I think it's Tennessee. Oh, it might be Carolina. I think you're right about Carolina. Yeah. I knew it was, in the, I knew it was in the South. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that Carolina it got either a split or a – I think it's a split including the Super Bowl. Because, of course, they had that Super Bowl where 32-29 back in Super Bowl 38. If, boy, if you want to rile up a Panthers fan, bring up, the name, bring up the name John Casey and mention his kickoff in the Super Bowl. Casey had a great career. He was the last original Panther on the roster. But he had his worst kickoff at the worst possible time, which gave Tom Brady a short field to drive the Patriots downfield and uh, and that was it. So actually, I just queued up the record here. It is three. The Panthers against the Brady-led Patriots, three and three. Where do the Titans fall? Are they even in there? Uh, let me uh, let me find out here. Football database does really good at having these uh, series, uh, these the series histories, and you can just search for any of them and get all the results here. And that's what I'm queuing up right now. New England Patriots versus Tennessee Titans. Okay, here we go. Uh, let's see. The uh, Patriots lost in 02. Uh, they won in 03, won in the 04 playoff. Let's see. I'm at uh, I'm at four and one. Yeah, seven. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's so I just it's yeah, seven and two. Was, it's seven and two. So no, it's, was, it's yeah, Carolina. It's definitely Carolina. Uh, good call uh let's see he goes on i've heard a few players talk about coach fangio evolving as a coach this year when i have heard uh very positive feedback about camp changes from last year when there's the schedule doesn't have the three-hour daily practice like last year which i believe led to some of our uh, lethargy early last season what have you guys noticed on the field that's doing a bit better seems a bit better at communicating with players has he also given some concessions to the players to make camp less painful maybe letting them play music during warm-ups or things of that nature well mace we just talked about this unless you have anything else to add uh nothing at all and i think but he is uh he is communicating but he's also he and he did this last year as well he tends to watch from a distance he likes to let his coaches coach i think it's the three decade background as an assistant he understands the way assistant coaches see things and uh, what they need to, to do in order to do their jobs effectively. And so I haven't seen a lot of huge changes. And again, I think the trunk, the truncated practice length, a lot of that is being mandated by the NFL, but uh, so far so good. From Denveria. Hey boys, are you following the Avs much? Do you know me? I think they're the real deal and uh, hope the Broncos can follow their path. Do you know if any Avs and Broncos players are close? Well, first of all, yes, I'm following. I, I, one thing you should know about me, and I feel like a lot of people that listen to the show do know this about me, but I do not miss a Denver sports game ever, regardless of what team it is. What do you do when they're on the same time? Get out the second screen experience? Uh, absolutely, or you just hang out at the DNVR bar. Yeah, see it all, yeah. 
Um, do you know if any Avs and Broncos players are close? I don't think so. Um, I haven't seen it at all. And, man, the culture between those two sports is so, so different. Um, the Avs, you know, you, you sometimes see Broncos and Nuggets hanging out. Um, you sometimes, yeah, you sometimes – that's really the only one that I've seen quite a bit. But uh, hockey players are, are their own breed. They usually hang out with each other. Yeah. Now, I don't know if he was close to any players at the time on the Avs, but Orlando Franklin did go to a lot of Avs games. And I imagine he probably got to know some of the players. Of course, Orlando is from Canada. He grew up playing hockey until he got too big and said, you know, they, and they told him, you know what? let's see what you do on the football field rather than on skates. And it was a wise decision, but Orlando's a big hockey guy. Yeah, for sure. Still Brian skip. If RK isn't here, well, he is. Hey, RK Brian here. A news. How rookie rookie running back. Brian Parra has looked. I heard if he showed he showed Pardon me. I heard he showed up to camp overweight and has been sneaking white claws in between drills. Any truth to this referencing a Madden league joke? Yeah, this Brian Parra guy is trash, Mace. Uh, I have no <laughs> idea what he's doing on the team. Uh, Parra nothing, if you will, uh, because this guy has no business being out there. Um, he's a drunk and uh, a terrible football player. Well, if he's got the white claws and he showed up overweight, I believe that is the Maurice Claret resume updated for 2020. Now, back in 05, it was the I got to get my goose on. Ah, yes. <laughs> little, little gray goose. Uh, but, yes, shout out to, to Brian and the, and the whole Madden League. Uh, I, I told them uh, if they submitted their name uh, – I don't know how we got to this point, but I said if you put your name on the podcast, I'll, they, said they wanted to be roasted like a player on the team. <laughs> I like that. Pig Tosser Returns says one more from me. Now that you've seen the Bronco, how the Broncos and other teams are dealing with COVID-19, what is your outlook from the season from starting on time to getting all the games in? Knock on wood, you aren't hearing about any outbreaks around the league, and it seems like the teams, and most importantly the players, are taking this very seriously. It's, it's good to see, man. Um, it does feel like these guys are taking it seriously, and I thought Drew Locke put it best. Uh, and maybe someone will disagree with me on this because there's always someone disagreeing with something when it comes to this stuff. But Drew Locke said, if we really love the game as much as we say we do, we can put aside our social lives uh, for a bit to make sure that we stay healthy and don't, and don't bring something into this facility and into our little mini bubble. Uh, and I think they've done a great job so far. Yeah, I think right now it's all good. And I think what Drew Locke says is 100% accurate. But we get into the long haul. I mean, you're asking five-plus months as far as, far as – maintaining uh, this kind of social distance from the rest of the world. Uh, that's going to be tough. That's, I, I don't worry about it now. Everyone's bi really busy. You're never busier in a year than you are during training camp. And your schedule is never more regimented as a player than it is during training camp. I worry about what happens when we get to October and November. And yeah. uh, that's, that's my only concern. Now, that being said, I think uh, the NFL is going to have a season. I don't know if it's going to be full length for everybody, but I think they're, they're going to have a season. They're going to have a champion. I think the biggest question now is if there are going to be fans in the games. The Broncos announced today no fans for the season opener against the Titans. And Vic pointed out that the NFL 
is doing a good job. The test, the positive tests are going down as they, as the players have been in camp for longer. That's a good sign. The problem is getting fans in the stands. The NFL can do everything right with its players and its coaches and everybody can do the right thing, but that's not going to have any impact on whether you can have fans in the stands. That is up to the general public. And so It's the old cliche. You're hearing it from mayors. You're hearing it from football coaches. Do you want to go to some football games this year? Wear a mask. Wear a mask. Uh, From Pig Tosser 66. Did Melvin injure some rib cartilage, breathing too heavy in the mile high air? Just saying, run, Phil, run. Wow, shots fired. Oh, man, come on. Go go easy on Melvin, man. He's a badger. From the other, Ryan, my boys, happy bum talk, fired up, feel good Friday. What a pleasure it was to head into the weekend listening to two Hall of Famers, Broncos and football guests. Peyton Manning chat with Steve Atwater today while watching some of the first part of today's training camp practice. Yeah, that was nice. I listened into it uh, for a while there. I was actually waiting to hear like a fire quote from Peyton, but he didn't bring any, I didn't think. It's funny because I was doing the same thing. I was listening and I was prepared to write a, well, here's a couple of things that Peyton Manning said story on the dmvr.com no it was, he didn't have it was cool. yeah well it was just kind of two guys having a casual conversation him and For steve sure. atwater and of course in a manner of speaking they're going to be the same class because atwater's induction is delayed till 2021 uh it was funny Steve mentioned to Peyton the time limit on speeches. He told me this a few weeks ago, and he mentioned it to Peyton that he'd been told that he was going to have a 10-minute time limit for his speech. And he was joking that it could be five minutes because they're going to try to get two years of, of classes in next year. Peyton, he didn't really say anything, but you could tell that when Steve brought that up, Peyton's like, yeah, I'm not keeping mine at 10 minutes. <laughs> nope. <laughs> he's having none of that. Yeah, he, uh, he's the star of the show. He might as well be the MC for all anyone knows. Yeah, maybe uh, that can give him more time. He can be the MC, and that can, and so he has a 10-minute speech, but he can take another 15 minutes in his speech as an MC. There you go. Exactly. He says if Todd Davis's injury keeps him sidelined for a significant amount of time, do you think the Broncos will sign a veteran such as old friend Wesley Woodyard or another free agent like Alec Ogletree? Or are the Broncos inclined to put some younger and or untested players into the refiner's fire? Thank you for the great training camp coverage this week. To all the DNVR Broncos podcast freeloaders out there, come be all that you can be in the DNVR me. Have a wonderful weekend. DNVR me salute. I think they're going to ride what they've got. Yeah, me too. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Number one, part of the job is going to be making the defensive calls. So it's hard to bring somebody in and get them a hundred percent up to speed on that. Certainly not a a Wesley Woodyard. And we all look, we all love Woody and he's a a good player, but he'd be starting from, he'd be starting from zero. And so would Alec Ogletree because of course he hasn't played for Vic Fangio. So because of that, I don't think you're going to see the Broncos bringing guy in and remember you can't just go spending the space created by Jawan James opting out willy-nilly. You're going to need that next year when you do have to pay Jawan James. So I think they ride what they've got. Sand Monkey 27, how has Drew's footwork looked through practice? Is there any drift or throws off his back foot? Yes, there are. Uh, I think it looks improved, but you're always going to get throws like that from Drew. I, I, I think you, you just kind of – it's kind of stylistic for him. 
he, you know, he drops the arm angle. He throws off his back foot. He, these are the types of things that he does. Now, I don't want to compare him to this guy, although it won't be as bad of a comparison since Zach isn't here to shoot it down. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers has been doing those type of things his whole career, and he's got away with it just fine. Right. And a key thing is that he does it usually when he's under pressure or moving around. When yeah. he has a clean pocket and he stays in the pocket, he's just throwing, throwing it traditionally. And what I've seen in the two days of watching Drew Locke is that when he has a clean pocket, no pressure, he, his footwork is exactly what you expect it to be. When he's under duress and he's rolling out, that's when you're seeing some of the off-balance back foot stuff, and that's fine. Uh, but part of the thing with Drew Locke is that last year in camp, and even in the games a bit, he was mechanically missing on some things when he had clean pockets. And you don't have to do that. And that's yeah. where he's gotten better. That said, there's one throw from Wednesday where he's rolling left and he tries to throw short middle across his body. He's looking for Jerry Judy, but there are like three defenders in the area. That's what I want to see Drew Locke improve on. And uh, even Zach alluded to a throw that he had today that got picked off by Justin Simmons. He, there he's still sometimes making he's making those this, those throws the high risk throws that on occasion you're going to complete it's going to be a spectacular play but does put the team at risk and uh that's something that he's going to have to grow out of a little bit you're going to have to live with those throws in the moment it's part of a young quarterback developing but he needs to get a little bit better at that and you know what he knows that agreed last one just ice hold the water Hey, guys, who's really underperforming in camp? And if you had to go with one running back to be the number one right now, who would it be and why, assuming Melvin is healthy? You know, maybe it's because we're not out there every day, so it's hard to throw anyone under the bus just because they had one or two bad practices. Uh, I don't have anyone marked down as, like, this guy is really having a bad camp. Yeah, I don't have that either. You have guys that are struggling, but it's expected. Jeff Driscoll is inconsistent. Well Mm – you know what? Jeff Driscoll has been inconsistent since the since before he got into the NFL. I mean, yeah. He was inconsistent at Florida. I remember watching him there before he transferred to go play for Skip Holtz at Louisiana Tech. So yep. I I I'm if I've if I've been given a ticket to the Jeff Driscoll experience, I know what I'm getting. And it's what we're seeing. So yeah, that's, that's why point. I can't say that there's not a disappointment that the guys that have struggled it's been as expected. I don't see any, you know, I, I don't see guys underperforming who and what they are as players. Yeah. Another example of that would be Elijah Wilkinson, you know, yeah. like not having a great camp, but uh, what were you expecting? Yeah. Jake Rogers, same way. When he goes against Vaughn Miller, uh, Vaughn's been schooling him. Well, one's a future hall of famer and one is a guy who's been cut over half a dozen times. Yeah, for sure. All right, Mace, that's going to wrap it up for us on today's edition of the DNVR Broncos podcast. Again, shout out to Green Mountain Dental Group. If you need any dental work, they're the best damn family-owned dentist group in the metro area. Uh, And you'll get a free Sonicare toothbrush when you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam. Get that Sonicare toothbrush. Those things are great. But for now, it's going to wrap it up for us. Mace, great pod. I'll see you tomorrow. Oh, I won't see you tomorrow. Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. Enjoy your day off, as I'm sure the Broncos players will, even though they probably can't do a heck of a lot of them just hang out around the house. That's true. You too, man. Talk to you later. See ya.